The span of our life is 70 years, perhaps in strength even 80, yet the sum of them is but labour and sorrow, for they pass away quickly and we are gone. Who regards the power of your wrath? Who rightly fears your indignation? So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Psalm 90 verses 10 through 12. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Being at the very end of the church year, uh, the lections again, uh, like last Sunday, are heavy, right? This is some heavy stuff uh, that we just heard from the prophet Zephaniah, um, from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, and from our Lord's teaching uh, in the Gospel. Uh, And so, wanting to be faithful to the Word of God, I have another heavy sermon. Um, And I want to say just two things about that. one, if, a sermon se- if sermons for a while seem to be kind of heavy and upsetting, um, that's actually a good thing, <laughs> because the scriptures say that in the last times, people will only want teaching that tickles the ears. So if every sermon was just like, oh, fab, great, that sounds good, you know, there's a danger that maybe we're not getting the full biblical message, because the full biblical message is at once the infinite hope of the infinite mercy of Christ Jesus towards us, and the heavy, sober news of death and the great judgment. So we are focusing on that in this season, and I'm not ashamed of that, but I recognize that it's going to be another uh, heavy word today that we've heard. Uh, Okay, so much for the way of preface. Um, Last week I spoke a lot about the second coming of Christ, the thing we're still waiting for, right, his coming again. There are actually um, two ways, of course, that every person will meet Jesus, uh, either when he comes again, and we'll all see him again, or the second way is when we die. Right? Those are the two ways in which you come before Jesus. And either way, whether we see him when we die, or whether he comes back again in our lifetime, either way, we will be coming before him as our judge, that our lives will come before him to be judged. And if we are found on that day, to have faith in him, he won't only be our judge, right? The gospel is that he is our judge and he's also our saviour. So he'll meet us as our judge and and as our saviour if we're found in him. So this week, you know, last week I spoke about the second coming. This week I want to speak about the other route by which we will come face to face with Jesus and that is the route of death. Psalm 90 that we just prayed together Uh, has in fact been the burial psalm for centuries upon centuries in the Anglican Church. There are are countless millions of people, faithful Christians, who've been put in the ground, and that has been the psalm that's been read over the grave. What a fitting and a bracing psalm it is in the face of death, isn't it? It's a wonderful psalm. I I love its sobriety and its simplicity. um, You know, the world is constantly sort of bombarding us with these... uh, really delusions of of immortality, right? Like, oh, this diet or this thing or this plan or this lifestyle or whatever it is, like, will make it look, you can stay younger longer. And this idea of like, no, no, death, it's far away. It's not something that we need to be concerned about. And yet this psalm uh, is just wonderfully plain. And God tells us the truth against the lies of our culture that normally we get 70 or 80 years. 
It's just right there, uh, really plain. Which means if you live to 70 or 80, as some of you already have, and I, I pray all of us will, um, you've been given the fullness of years. And if you get to live beyond 70 or 80, <coughs> Omar, <coughs> um, that, that's a bonus round, which thanks be to God. <laughs> and this clear statement of the Psalms is also particularly a warning to us younger folk, right, who the sort of the delusion of youth is that death will never come. And so against being tricked by the busyness of our days, God tells us these days are going fast. Something which is actually, I mean, everyone who's over 70 has told me that at some point, like, oh, it all goes so fast. It becomes knowledge, but it's not knowledge on the front end. God tells it to us, though, that we, all of us, are no more permanent than the grass in our lawns, which we all see is going brown, right? It's here, here today, here for a season, gone the next. Um, and, and as Christians, we actually do really well to recall the end of life to ourselves regularly. St. Benedict, I, I, I'm sure I've said this already from this pulpit, but I think it's sort of a strong and right tonic for our age. He says we should, a Christian should keep death before his eyes daily. And that's what the psalmist, you know, it's not just St. Benedict, it's, it's God speaking through Psalm 90. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. I saw a thing on the web a few weeks ago about, you know how we have Advent calendars for Advent, you know, counting down the days? That you can kind of guess based on like genetics and your, where, how old you are and all these things, on average, how many years you'll have left. Someone's thinking about making actually like a lifetime advent calendar where like you have like kind of average number of days that you have left. And at first it's like, ugh. But then that's actually, it would be useful. Like, oh yeah, like the time is finite. The days are actually ticking down. And it's only if we keep that in view that we are able to live wisely. That's what the psalmist says, right? That we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Not a wisdom of this age, not just kind of a prudence in business affairs or something, um, but the wisdom that recognizes how short this, this life really is. If we um, practice that as part of just our regular orientation as Christians, like remembering the end of our days, when that day actually comes, it's much less jarring. Right? I think so many people, Christians and non-Christians, when death comes, it's like this total surprise existentially, like, oh, what's happening? Like, it's like, oh, but, but if we recognize that's coming, when it comes, it's still sad, it's still painful, it's still heavy, um, but it's not a surprise. I think if we live the Christian life rightly, we, we won't be surprised about it when it comes for us and when it comes for those that we love. The, um, the world would certainly call, you know, the idea of trying to remember death, you know, we actually, we actually have words in English sort of, derisively against this. You know, we say it's morose or morbid. Um, but that's because the world doesn't want us to think about the end of our days. I think if we practice this a little bit, at first it's a bit uncomfortable to be thinking about death. But the discomfort goes away pretty quickly, actually, when we recognize it for what it is in light of what God has revealed about the, the, kind of the big picture of resurrection and coming before him and all these things. Uh, and th with that, there's also this radical freedom, right? When you think about it, so much of what we worry about, underneath all of it, kind of in the subterranean places, is a fear of dying. Like, well, what's the worst thing that could happen when something's going badly and causing us to panic? Well, I could die. But if, if that is sort of already a fact to be reckoned with, it, it doesn't take away all anxieties, it doesn't make life completely carefree, but it, it defuses the bomb a little bit uh, if we are already braced 
for the worst. And um, I think when we think about death as Christians, it's really important not just to think about the end of this life, because there's a way in which even non-Christians uh, might be sort of uh, even sort of uh, obsessed about this in a way. Like this is this sort of weird paradox in our culture that there's this simultaneous uh, rejection of the specter of death and a sort of over-fascination with it. I think, you know, many world-weary folk kind of long for death, and that's not the Christian practice. Like, wanting to die is not a Christian thing, necessarily. It, no, it's not a Christian thing. Because the way the world might long for death is as if it's just sort of this just total ends, like the closing of the book, that's it. And again, that's less, that's not, God has revealed more to us than that. It's not the closing of the book, right? It's the translation into the next life. Death is not just some sort of slipping away into some calm nothingness. It is to come before the judgment seat of God. And so when we think about death as Christians, we shouldn't just think about the end of this bodily life, but we think about what it is, the sort of doorway to, which is the judgment, the judgment seat of Jesus the scriptures talk about this many places. Hebrews 9.27 uh, It's appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. There it is, right there. Those two things, they're, the two ideas connected. Revelation 20 verse 12 I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. It's a pretty sobering, a pretty sobering picture. What it teaches us is that in order to live a truly wise life, um, we need to not only square up with mortality, but what's on the other side of mortality, uh, the judgment we'll undergo. The psalmist, did you catch the rhetorical question um, in verse 11 of Psalm 90? He says, who regards the power of your wrath? Who rightly fears your indignation? Implying not many people. Like very few people actually wise up to how serious this day will be. I love our lectionary that we get these kind of readings foisted on us because by myself I would very rarely read Zephaniah. I mean, it's all the word of God, but to hear that heavy passage, right, about the day of the Lord of darkness, and it was very well read uh, by Linda, but these are uncomfortable truths, and yet they are scriptural truths. And if we just don't open, crack open those books of the Bible, we might not hear them, but the lectionary forces us to crack open. And I think when we hear passages like that, we can kind of agree with the psalmist, right? Who rightly hears that reading from Zephaniah and has the appropriate amount of dread for that day when we come before God? Not, not most of us. Not me. I'm still growing and working towards rightly reckoning the wrath and indignation of God. The... Um, one sort of side avenue, I think, by which we can put our hands into these ideas a little bit is if even kind of bracketing out for a moment kind of the, the awful majesty of God. You know, it's clear in these sort of judgment day lessons within the scriptures that everything is public, right? That it's like what Jesus says, everything done in secret will be yelled from the rooftops. In Psalm 90, we, in those earlier verses, you know, the secret sins come out. I mean, just imagine how you feel right now if everyone just in this room, fellow sinners, like all of us sinners, if everybody just knew all of the worst secret things you'd ever done. I mean, like, we'd all just be, like, curling up in a ball over here, right? And that's just in front of, like, fellow sinners. I mean, now, so multiply that by the purity of God. 
Like, and we begin to get a sense of, even as Christians, sort of the, the weight of what it means to come before his, his judgment seat when we die. Um, part of it is <laughs> we fail to, I think, I, I still um, struggle to really keep in mind the fact that God is actually angry about sin. And it's the anger that comes... This, these metaphors, not metaphors, these teachings make more sense having kids now, right? Like when Lucy tries, if she tries to like hit Jane, I'm angry about that because I love Jane, right? Like the sinful... And she, thankfully, she doesn't try and do that very often. Um, but anger at injustice stems from love for justice and love for his people. And so all of our sins still actually rouse the anger of God. And... Uh, at this point, there's a really crucial thing I want to offer, which is not preached very often, sadly. You know, when we talk about the anger of God for sin, right away you might be thinking, wait a second, like, uh, we've been baptized, right? We're Christians. I thought Romans 8.1, you know, there's therefore now no condemnation. Right? Like, I thought anger is like all taken care of. And objectively, the price, the penalty for sin has been fully taken care of by Christ on the cross. But that doesn't mean that God is now just completely neutral about all the sins of the earth, like he's just watching it apathetically. He's still ired by the wickedness, our wickedness, and the wickedness which we inflict on each other. Because the thing about Romans 8.1, it says there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so which sort of provokes the question, um, are we in Christ Jesus? And certainly we were baptized into his body. We at once, at one point, were grafted into Christ Jesus. But have we remained in him? That's sort of I think, the real question where, why would, the, why would, as a Christian, why would I have dread about coming before God when I die or, or his second coming? Because it hinges on the question of, have we remained in Christ Jesus? Having been grafted into him in baptism, uh, have we remained? You know, Jesus, if you read the Gospel of John, he's constantly saying, uh, I think I counted it over a dozen times, Abide in me. Remain in me. Keep staying within his divine life, within his loving arms. That it's not enough to just once come into Christ Jesus. We have to remain in Christ Jesus. And, and that's, that's where the rubber really meets the road when it comes to presence, the judgment of God and the fear of God and a right dread of these things. Abiding is the thing that we are to be vigilant in attending to. It's not a work that saves us, right? That it just is the practice of faith. It's only Christ who saves us. But we have to abide in him to be saved. We are to practice as Christians keeping watch over the gift we've been given of his grace and, and union with him. Um, which I think if we're honest, most of us haven't done a great job. And I'm still speaking about my own life. I was baptized when I was 13. I was grafted into Christ Jesus eternally. I was made his own when I was 13. But since then, I've consciously plunged headlong into serious sins um, more times than I could have courage to, to name right now. Actually, um, just I, I don't know if I've shared this with you guys before, but um, some, so serious from my sins, I actually began to suffer from demonic oppression. And in 2004, through the prayers and friends, God actually like set me free from like this demon that was harassing me. I mean, it's pretty heavy stuff. 
which means God gave me a second chance on the Christian life, a chance to, to really live with him and abide in him and remain with him. And, and what did I do with a second chance? I squandered it again. I was interested in God really zealously for like in a year or two after that. Um, and then just sort of interested the world and just things of this life just stole my attention again after getting like a second, second chance. My heart started to grow cold towards the Lord and it would have been fully within like his justice to just cut me loose and say this one, I was the one who got the one talent and did nothing with it. But in his mercy, God gave me another chance. And back in, what, would it, what years would it have been? Like around 2010, God called me back to himself a third time and gave me his mercy a third time, welcoming me back setting me back on track to a, a life of abiding in him. So it means like since 1999, I've not kept a very good watch on the gift he's given me. I've not labored to abide in him with any constancy. Which means that even though God is infinitely gracious, for me there should be condemnation. And that's why I sort of approach Judgment Day seriously. Like it's not just some sort of ruse, like okay, well, let's just sort of go through the charade of doing a judgment. Like... The judgment of God is not a charade in the scriptures. It's a real judgment. I know that every sin which I've done will be brought out into the open. The books will be opened. And in his mercy, you know, through his grace he's given me in this life to already be repenting of those things, a lot of those entries in the book have repented. Christ has washed these sins clean. But there are sins I don't even know about which will be brought out. You know, the secret things I'm not even aware of myself. And I, I trust because of the character God's revealed in his son Jesus and dying on the cross. I trust that he, on judgment day he will forgive those things. But it's still an open court, right? Like I'm still waiting for that received sentence of mercy. These things are, are not hyperboles. I'm not preaching these things to sort of like rouse up sort of zeal, like just for the sake of it. I really think this is what the scriptures teach about judgment day. And I think as a church, as a whole, we've kind of lost sight of some of the weight of this this teaching. But Jesus doesn't mince his words. You know, I think we kind of paint these simple caricatures of Jesus as just super friendly. And of course, he is friendship itself. I mean, he's love itself. But when he says to the servant who doesn't even lose the talent, right? Like he doesn't, it's not like that servant who got the one talent lost it somehow. He actually gives him back the, that weight of gold. But because he did nothing with it, he's cast, as Jesus says, into the outer darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth. I think this is a parable about what do we do with the grace that God has given us. Everything in our life um, will be judged when we come before God. I want to sort of just end with a segue, as it were. That doesn't mean just the bad things. It also means the good things. And this is going to be what I want to preach on next week. So if please, please come back next week because judgment is a two-sided coin. Not only will we be judged for everything we've done to neglect the grace of God, we will also be rewarded for everything we did with the grace of God. And this is sort of like the weird, dreadful wonderment of it. I mean, I think it's Psalm 130 that says, it, there is forgiveness with you, therefore you shall be feared. And I think there the mystery is captured, right? That it's actually, we are going to be forgiven by his mercy. I look forward to that forgiveness, to that mercy. And even on top of that, we're going to be rewarded and the gospel next week is the story of the sheep and the goats. That everything we ever did good for the Lord will receive an eternal praise and blessing and reward of some kind. Now, I'm going to unpack that in some detail. Um, I'm not going to say more about that now because that, that will be uh, next week's sermon. Um, but it is sort of this twin truth when we think about the judgment of God. It's 
our sins being brought forward and our responses to God's grace also being brought forward to be praised uh, and blessed. Um, surrounding this sort of whole picture is everything is undeserved, right? No, we did nothing to deserve God's grace. We did nothing uh, to win his favor just out of his love for us. He saved us. Um, we, even the good deeds we've done, it's not us doing them of our own volition. It's the Holy Spirit working through us. I mean, he's rewarding his own work. Um, so all around, them, we think, when you think of sort of judgment day and death and all these things, it's mercy all the way around. And that's why we have hope as Christians. Like, we don't have no hope. We're not going into this judgment day blind, like, oh, like I wonder how it's going to turn out. We have hope for mercy. Um, so keep that in view as sort of the coloring idea for the whole thing. What we are to strive to continue to do is to abide in him until the day of our death, that we would remain faithful till the day we die. And that in that faithfulness, in the midst of the faithfulness, we would rightly, as the psalmist says, rightly fear his indignation. So I'll end with the words of the psalmist. Lord, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Amen.